Okay, well, today, how many of you got, did you get her a sheet as you came in today? Some of you did? Cool. If you didn't, it's okay. You're gonna have an opportunity to get one um, at the end. Um, this is an outline of the series that we're going to go through over the next five weeks. And this is basically, I, I'm gonna teach all five weeks of this. And part of the reason why, it's, um, it's uh, this is the fourth year that my family and I have been here. Um, and I think in November we crossed year three. Yes, crazy. Time flies. The first year was a little wonky. Uh, the COVID year, I said it out loud, sorry. Um, but this is uh, built around our historic mission statement as a church, to be a, our vision statement, to be a community radically committed to spiritual formation for the sake of others. That is deeply rooted in scripture. And, and so briefly, the, the, the invitation into this series really is just laid out here very simply. For many of us Christians, there's a mysterious gap between what we read about and the teachings of Jesus and the life that we actually are living. Anybody experienced that before? Uh, somewhere along the way, many of us feel maybe plateaued in our spiritual formation, and many times it moves beyond that to a sense of regression. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, we are becoming more busy, worried, and on edge. Anybody understand that? Could there be something regarding the way we are going about being a Christian that is stunting our formation and keeping us from living life into the full, John 10, 10, like Jesus teaches? So basically what we're, do, what, what we're doing here, and this is not fully complete, obviously, but it's a way of contextualizing bi- biblically this idea of spiritual formation. In the words of Dallas Willard, uh, a short, this is like a short curriculum for Christ-likeness by highlighting Five different movements, things that the Spirit of God and God's Word naturally moves us into as we study, as we commune with God's presence with us, as disciples of Jesus that we naturally move into. Five movements that will help us detangle our discipleship uh, from the ways of the world and be spiritually formed biblically. And so, um, so if I can bring the diagram uh, real quick on the screen, I created a, we, a circle here in this, and this is... Now that we're a little over, now that I'm a little over three years in, I want to lend my voice a little more directly to our mission and vision as a church. This is the five weeks laid out, so it's in a sense, and on the sheet it has the the passages, the excuse me, (coughs) the scripture passages. So that's kind of your syllabus. I know some of you like that over the next weeks, and so we're going to go right around the circle. And the, the challenge of teaching like this is one really flows into the next. Um, so it really does, uh, that's why it's not just put linear. There is a sense of this flow to this. So I wanna encourage you, if you're online, great, you're taking part in this. Um, if you are out of town or miss a week, please go back and, and, and view that because this is essential um, for us and, and what we're about as followers of Jesus. And because they link together, uh, it's really important that we stay on the journey together. And so... The first one is very simple, is very simple, this movement of moving from a fan to a follower of Jesus. And before we get into it, could I invite us just to a posture of surrender and openness to Jesus? Um, you know, sometimes we separate our mind, our body, our spirit, but we're really just all one. So can we 
open up even our bodies to the Lord and maybe even open our hands like this and if you're comfortable with it. If, if you're not, it's fine. But, um, but Lord, we're here and I slow down. Um, we're here as followers of you. We're working it out and we um, ask you to speak to us, to lead us today. Uh, we need you, Jesus. So help us, our bodies, our minds, our soul, to be present to your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So the idea here is moving from movement one, a fan to a follower. Um, and many of you here would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And maybe some of you here wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, but you find Jesus really compelling. And maybe, maybe in some strange way, that's like why you're here. And I just want to point out, that's actually not odd. That's really logical. Jesus is compelling. Follower of Jesus or not, the life of the person of Jesus is incredibly compelling. And so regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, welcome today. Welcome to this. If you're brand new here, welcome into this. As we journey through scripture, we're going to start in the book of Mark, a biography of Jesus, chapter one. We're going to look at a couple different stories. But before we do that, let me define this word fan. Um, some big football games coming up today. So <clears throat> I'll say it like this. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. Uh, Sometimes I'm enthusiastic, sometimes I'm not. Um, but uh, this one day, recently, I was enthusiastic. Um, I don't go to football games very often, but I did go to one recently, and I picked the right one. I am from Chicago. You can boo it. It's okay. Love your enemies. Um, and I went to the Bears-Vikings game here, and my, the last one, and my experience was really cool. One, because it's an amazing stadium. I'm a big Viking. Doom, doom. I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to, I can't cheer. Um, and the Bears did win. And I've been to games where I wore my bright orange jersey and I've had to walk out, you know, the walk of shame, you know, bright orange. So, uh, so I wore a coat over it just in case. I, judge me all you want. Um, I don't, here's my, here's the fine line I tread. I, I like all that enough to rub it in when my team wins, but not to lose sleep when they lose. And to me, that's a really happy medium right there. And uh, if you need prayer for that afterwards, right up here, I'll be up here. I'd love to pray for you. Um, some of you need pre-prayer for today. Uh, I do. Um, <clears throat> so, but a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. What do fans do? Fans spectate. They show up at large gatherings, they cheer, they wear the gear, they even learn a lot about the stats. And there are times when you're a fan of something, whether it's football or maybe a performer or a musician or something like that, you're in a large event and you feel, because the, it's so intense and you feel as if something happened that's shaping your life. And then you go home and you realize my life is exactly the same. Um, the emotions were high. It peaked out at one point. I'm screaming my head off. I'm slept. I'm pretending. I'm like, I'm like old friends with people I don't know. I love you, man. And, and I go home and I'm exactly the same. And that's okay. I, I actually love being a fan. I'm an enthusiast. I'm fans of lots of things. I like it. It's fun. Um, but there are two tensions I want to point out in regards to this. <coughs> Excuse me. One tension 
um, is this. In the life and teachings of Jesus, so in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see clearly that Jesus is not interested in being admired by fans. And, and if that were the case, if Jesus was interested in that, then Jesus would not have spent, well, number one, he wouldn't have chose Mary and Joseph to be his parents, wouldn't have been born in Bethlehem, wouldn't, wouldn't have spent most of his time in Galilee, would have spent most of his time in Jerusalem, probably actually Rome or somewhere more prominent like that, he would not have spent as much time with society's outcasts, but he would have maximized his time on earth by being with the powerful, the influential, those, in a sense, who are good at the game of life. Jesus didn't hang out with those who are good at the game of life. And, and you know, if you are a performer or you are an, an athlete, you want to be on the best team, you want to be on the biggest stage possible, but Jesus wasn't, didn't create the best team and he was not uh, uh, taking the biggest stage possible in the life that he lived on this earth. And it's fascinating when you read about it. Um, Jesus chose Mary and Joseph and Peter and James and John and Matthew and, uh, to do life with these people. And I, I actually love it. I absolutely love it because, because of the grace that's built into who Jesus chose to do life with, the not good enough. So those who are sitting on the bench of life those ones are the ones that Jesus chose to do life with. And how many of you are just grateful for that? I, I am so grateful. <coughs> Sorry, coughing a little bit today. Um, most clearly, though, if Jesus wanted enthusiastic admirers, he would not have bore the ultimate symbol of shame and disgrace and hang on the cross naked and dying for the world to see. That wouldn't have happened if that was the goal of Jesus. Are you with me, church? So Jesus clearly wasn't concerned as much, and we'd see this, he, he wasn't concerned as much about the size of the crowds following him as he was the commitment in the hearts of his followers. And so the second tension here that I wanna point out is this, I am convinced that many Christians live lives that look more like being a fan of Jesus than actually an enthusiastic admirer, than actually a follower of Jesus. And I actually don't, I don't say that to put shame or guilt on anybody, that's not what this is. That any time you experience that, um, that, that shame or guilt, you have to tell yourself, I gotta, Lord, or pray, God, detangle my heart from that kind of pressure. The Lord, in, Jesus invites us with grace into this, meets us where we're at. You know, many cultures have struggles and, and every culture has their own battles. One of the battles that we face here in the West is that we can become susceptible to grabbing a hold of a faith that looks more like how we cheer for a team than it does actually what Jesus taught in scripture. We can sort of ride the fence between something, one, we're excited about, we have cool moments with, we learn a lot about. I mean, think about it, like this idea of gathering in large crowds and admiring Jesus, wearing the label Christian, right? Even learning all the stats about your team, we're learning about Jesus. Um, and we can even build whole church systems around um, creating converts and, and gathering enthusiasts, Christian enthusiasts, um, instead of, grabbing a hold of this ancient idea of discipleship 
And that's what we're coming back to today. Not out of guilt. Hear me say it again. But out of freedom and invitation from Jesus. God always meets us where we're at, not where we wish we were. And so, um, so let's look today at the primary invitation of Jesus to humans. Raise your hand if you're a human. Oh, good. Um, we're going to look at the primary invitation of Jesus. He had lots of invitations, but the primary one, two human beings. And we're just going to look. We're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you should be a little familiar with it if you've been around here. We were in it for like a year and a half. Um, three stories. I'm going to read them real quick. Uh, the first one is in chapter 1, starting at verse 16. And here's what it says. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Remember those words. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, they just dropped them and followed Jesus. We'll see why in a, in a moment. When he had gone a little further... He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. I just think that's interesting. Um, where are you going, boys? Uh, with hired men, and he, they followed him. Now we're going to jump to chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Once again, Jesus was beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Interesting how quick these guys respond, right? While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law and the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And now we're gonna jump all the way to chapter eight, <clears throat> verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, this is an invitation to more than just the 12. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. All right, let's take a journey together. And it's gonna start with three questions here. The first question is, who is Jesus? That's a big question. We're not gonna spend all the time we could on that. The second question is, what does it mean to be a disciple then? Thirdly, what does it mean to be a disciple now of Jesus? So the first question's important, who is Jesus? Because when we ask the question, who is Jesus, so many things bubble up, and many of them are true and good. Like, you might say, Jesus is my Savior. Yes, Jesus is our Savior. You might say, Jesus is our Lord and King. Yes, Jesus is our Lord and King. And there's so many other things that we could say there. But this invitation here to follow is not actually the invitation of a Lord or a Savior. This is the invitation of a rabbi. It's the invitation of a rabbi. And so I'm guessing if somebody asks you, who is Jesus, very few of us would begin with, 
He's my rabbi. <laughs> and that's okay. It's like, that's okay. That's a, not a term we use nowadays, uh, the term rabbi. And, um, but this is the invitation of a rabbi. And tragically, I believe this one aspect of Jesus' identity can get easily lost or glossed over in Western culture. Thus, our high emphasis on salvation and low emphasis on following. We want to draw crowds and create converts. And some of that, listen, hear me, some of that is good, is good. But the main invitation of Jesus to human beings was to follow, was the invitation of a rabbi. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. Is Jesus Savior? Yes. But let's go a little bit deeper into this. Um, if you were in the first century, you were a Jewish person, and you were hanging out in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and Jesus showed up, what category would you put Jesus in in the first century? The natural category that any one of us would put Jesus in, if he showed up to our town as an itinerant teacher, would be the category of a rabbi. So you gotta understand, when Jesus is walking around saying the things that he said here and calling people to follow him, the filter in their brain is, this is a rabbi inviting me to follow. And it's really important that we enter the first century context, otherwise we can import, import all sorts of meanings that we want on the text. So this is the part of Jesus' identity that we're going to get at today and in this, I believe, this has the power to radically reframe our Christian faith. So the second question, first one is, who is Jesus? And, and so in this, um, Jesus is lots of things, but we're talking about a rabbi in this case. Second question is, what does it mean to be a disciple of a rabbi then? A few thoughts. One, there's a pattern in, this, in these stories that I shared, and there's a pattern in all of the stories of Jesus calling disciples, that what Jesus didn't say in this invitation was, believe in me and you'll go to heaven when you die. That actually wasn't Jesus' invitation. Are we saved by Jesus? Yes! But Jesus' invitation here is a little bit different. Um, Jesus' invitation is, come and follow me or be my disciple. Now, here's what's interesting. Being a disciple is something you do. That's gonna frustrate a lot of you, some of you maybe, because there is this mindset of grace, which is, in a sense, good, that we are not saved by our works so that no one can brag, as Scripture teaches. And so why are you talking about doing with our faith? And here's what we can begin to do. We can become so hyper-grace-focused that we actually pit grace and effort against each other. But, but in Scripture, whether you look at Paul's teaching or Jesus himself, especially James, the brother of Jesus, grace and effort, they're not pitted against each other. They go hand in hand. Dallas Willard, maybe a name you're more familiar with, maybe not, um, actually talks about this and says that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Like, we don't earn God's favor. Jesus comes, I'm thankful for the grace of God. We'll talk more about that this week, but we'll also talk more about that in future weeks. It's core to our discipleship to Jesus. But actually, following Jesus is a life we live. It's something that we actually do with our time. So the word disciple, another thought here in the Greek is mathetes, mathetes. And it means disciple or student, as you would imagine, 
Um, rabbi uh, means teacher um, in Hebrew, and, and so disciple or student, but many modern-day scholars think there's a better word in our English language for that, which is the word apprentice. Now, I want to explain why just for a, a moment. Um, because the word follower is a little bit watered down in our culture. If you say follower, it can mean a lot of things. You could just follow somebody on social media, and you're like, they're, you know, I'm their follower. Um, okay, and so it can get kind of watered down, just that word in general. And then secondly, the word student, it can have lots of meanings because some of you are students and then you take the summer off and, and you have breaks and then you dread going to school. Some of you love school, that's awesome, but you clock in and you clock out, you do your homework, you're done, you move on to life. That's not what this is talking about. Or the word disciple, and disciple's a great word. I use it all the time. We'll continue to use it because it's in the Bible. But it is a Christian word in a sense in our culture that's hard to define in daily life here. So when words are hard to define, we can import all sorts of meanings to those words. But the word apprentice, is there anybody here that's an apprentice? Anybody? I see I don't, I don't know. Okay, if you know an apprentice, if I'm apprenticing with a plumber, I'm gonna be with them. I want to learn the craft. I wanna do what they do. I wanna be like them in that craft. Like, in a sense, we are apprenticing. A disciple of Jesus is an apprentice, but not just for a craft, but for all of life. We're walking with Jesus to learn how to, be, to become like Jesus, to learn what Jesus does so that we can do, in a sense, what Jesus does. But the point is this, to follow a rabbi in ancient days, equivalent in the English language, was to apprentice. Another thought, rabbi and disciple was actually, the idea of a rabbi, a teacher, and a disciple was actually not invented by Jesus. Now, if you look at Jesus, the creator, God's side, then yes, of course, but, but in a cultural context of Jesus living on earth wasn't invented by Jesus. In fact, there was all sorts of Jewish rabbis with disciples before Jesus, and there were many Jewish rabbis with disciples after Jesus. But actually, that idea of a disciple didn't come from Israel. We think it came from Greece. Um, Plato was a mathetes or mathetes of Socrates. That word is Greek, and that is the word that's used here in Scripture. And so the point of this is, is that discipleship was a part of the fabric of the first century world. Are you with me? It was a part of the fabric. It was how they thought. It was, it was in the air that they breathed. And, and if we are not careful... And this is part of the obstacle of being thousands of years into the future. And it's okay. This is an obstacle. Um, but if we're not careful, we can take discipleship out of the first century context and redefine it. Redefine it. Again, building even church structures around making converts and drawing crowds. And, and before you think of like the church down the street, this is designed for us to think about ourselves. Ourselves for the Lord to do the formational work inside of us as a local church family to lead us deeper into the way of Jesus and what scripture teaches. This is for us. And guilt makes us want to give up. I'm done, I can't do it. Conviction is this invitation that makes us want to continue on, to enter in, to be formed. Um, and so, uh, so the third question here is, so what, what, um, what does discipleship to a rabbi look like 
today? Oh, actually, I'm not gonna jump to that question yet. Um, what did discipleship to a rabbi, I wanna look at it a little bit more clearly. What did it look like in the first century? So um, I'm gonna, we're gonna geek out a little bit here. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to stay with me just for a bit. Uh, discipleship, um, being a mathetase to a rabbi, it was the peak of the Jewish education. So if you were a disciple, you arrived. It was the peak. All right, so there were three levels in that day, and it changed over time depending on the, the Jewish culture uh, throughout history, but there were three levels of Jewish education in that day. This is an oversimplified version. One of them was called Bet Sefer. Bet Sefer, the word means house of book, and it was the Jewish equivalent of grade school. And the focus of this grade school for a Jewish student was basic learning skills. We all need basic learning skills. Um, but their main emphasis was for children to memorize the Torah. Do you know what the Torah is? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Well, let's see here. Um, it ends at page 215. Those the beginning. Now, it's an oral culture, so I don't want to throw too much, <laughs> don't want you to feel too bad about yourself. Um, it was an oral culture, but they would memorize the Torah. By age 12, the majority were done with school. They went through this, they were done with school. A lot of times the females would move on, 13 or 14 years old, and many of them would get married, actually that young. Uh, a lot of the guys would move on to their family trade or family business. They would apprentice under, um, you know, as a fisherman, for example, as we see in scripture. And, uh, and then, but the best students would move on to the second level of education, which was Bet Talmud, and it meant house of learning. This was ages 12 to 14-ish. And this was actually a man-only school in the ancient world, and it was connected and built um, off of a synagogue. And the main emphasis of this, in this oral tradition, was for them to memorize the whole Old Testament. So... I'm just going to take a peek at that right there. That ends at page 962. Um, and so that's a, that's a bit. Um, and most, most, most students actually didn't go beyond that point. But the best of the best would move on to the next level. And the next level, to say it plainly, was discipleship to a rabbi. Mathetes. That was the next level. They would apprentice with a rabbi. So a rabbi would actually pick you. You wouldn't pick a rabbi. The rabbi would pick you. Uh, you'd have interviews and questions and tests. They would put you through the ringer. And what they were trying to figure out is a rabbi, if they thought you were smart and good enough to be, <laughs> become a rabbi, to be like them, then they would say these words, follow me. Same words Jesus used. Okay. If you made it this far as a disciple to a rabbi, you had basically two goals. And those two goals were this, to be with your rabbi and to become like your rabbi. To be with your rabbi, this was 24-7 learning. And maybe you've heard this before. There was an old blessing in that day that was this. If you were a student of a rabbi, an apprentice, a disciple, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. The rabbis were itinerant. They'd move from village to village, synagogue to synagogue. They'd teach. 
and their students would follow closely behind them. And on dirt roads, dust would kick up, and it was a very dirty journey. But it was this beautiful sense of like the dirt that physically comes off my rabbi's feet. May you be close enough to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It's a beautiful, beautiful invitation. And in Mark 3, chapter 3, verse 14, um, Jesus calls that out. He says that they, he's talking about his disciples, that they would be with me. And then the second one was to become like your rabbi. In Luke 6, 40, um, Jesus spells it out very clearly, but part of that verse is disciple, when they're fully trained, become like their master or their teacher, also um, rabbi. So there is a sense of Jesus when he calls us, he's calling us to be with him and to become like him. Okay, now when you hear that, and the first time that I learned some of this, I was a little insecure, I'm not gonna lie, because you think about these levels of education and the memorization and all of that, and frankly, church family, I have a confession to make, I'm not there. I, I just, I'm not at that third tier. Anybody else? I'm just not there. Um, I try to, me- I know that maybe oxygen was purer in the first century than it is now. That's what I blame it on. I just can't memorize like that. Not there. Uh, but here's what's beautiful, and this is Jesus. When he takes the kingdom of man, he just tips it upside down. Um, what's up is down, what's left is right. I mean, Jesus just turns the whole system upside down because Jesus actually, if you look in the passages we read, Jesus went to people who were fishing. <laughs> what does that mean? They were young. They were in their family's trade. They were the not good enoughs. They were sitting on the bench. They, they were the ones who didn't graduate to the next level. They were the ones that no other rabbi wanted to walk with or be with or train. And Jesus walked up to them, and what did he say? Follow me. I find a lot of life in that. No wonder, and I tell myself, no wonder they dropped their nets or walked right out of the tax booth. Like, it's almost like a second chance. A rabbi invited me? Those words weren't meant for, for schmucks like me. It's not a bad word, is it? I don't know. Um, so no wonder they, they left. And in turn, Jesus the rabbi, I believe, I believe this, meets us where we, were, where we are at in grace, not where we wish we were, and calls us with the same invitation, not to simply be his fan, his enthusiastic admirers, but to be with and to become like him. In the next few weeks, we're actually gonna go into next week, John 15, one of Jesus' most pointed teachings on spiritual formation. But today, I wanna ask this question. What does it mean to be a disciple for Jesus today? What does it look like? And I'm gonna, based on everything we said, here's a very simple definition. A modern day disciple of Jesus is someone who orders their life around being with and becoming like Jesus. Let me say it again. A modern day disciple of Jesus is someone who orders their life around being with and becoming like Jesus. Uh, What we say a lot around here is practicing the presence in the way of Jesus. That's what we mean. Um, This highlights two of the most foundational practices that that I wanna highlight today, or spiritual disciplines of our faith. And anytime we talk about spiritual disciplines, there's so many things that we can put into that category from fasting to Sabbath to generosity to prayer, scripture reading, all of that throughout 
church history, when you ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus, uh, the most likely answer would be being pointed to the spiritual disciplines. I want to explain, and again, this is going to go hand in hand with, with next week, but what I simply want to point out today is the two primary foundational spiritual disciplines or practices for a disciple who's following a rabbi. And I would argue these are, I would argue these are the most important, and they're not the most important because there's a formula, they're the most important because there's a flow, and it starts with the presence of God. We are people of the presence of God. Um, it is the whole arc of scripture, the witness. We were born, we were born into creation. We were created. There was this witness that was broken um, because of sin and this whole mission of God coming back to restore witness. The core of this is love. Again, we'll get into more next week. Um, but the first one is practicing the presence of God, which is very simply put, prayer. Prayer. We pray a lot as a church family. Um, last week, Spencer led us through a beautiful prayer time where we're praying for each other. Um, Jen led us through a time, not just of her leading in prayer, but for you to notice some of our missions partners on the screen so that we can, part of the, just so you know, like look behind the curtain a little bit, part of our goal when we're even here is not to do all the praying because we have this mindset sometimes, we, all of us, of like some people have this ability to pray and be heard by God more than others. And so what we want to do is practice here what we want people to practice out there, which is practicing the presence of God. You being able to pray and talk to God on your own, wherever you're at in the, in the journey. And so um, that being said, um, the, the question that comes to mind right away is, okay, being with, so practicing the presence of God, that is in a sense being with, waking up with Jesus, going to work with Jesus, doing chores with Jesus, eating with Jesus, resting with Jesus, this 24-7 journey with Jesus, just like ancient rabbis and disciples. Problem, there's a problem. Jesus is not here in the flesh. <laughs> so it's, there's an obstacle here. And so this, according to Scripture, we won't dive deep into it today, but according to, and it doesn't matter if you have it figured out or not, you can still practice the presence of God. This is through relationship with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We believe that God's presence is actually with us, that we're not shouting prayers and hoping they reach heaven, that the Holy Spirit is actually with us, and that is our connection to Jesus. This means that the first and primary goal of discipleship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection with the Holy Spirit. It's so important. I, I started to reread The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, and here's a quote from that. It says this, and try to follow along. It's a little long. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in the practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may, as, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, but these are habits, not the law of gravity. Can I hear an amen? And can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us, 
Soon our minds will return to God as a needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Beautiful. So, you, in a sense, can start somewhere else in your discipleship to Jesus. You can start with the way of Jesus. And you can go, I'm just gonna try and be like Jesus. I'm not gonna pray. I'm just gonna try and be like, good luck. Good luck. Try, try, try. And some of us do that. We feel a lot of guilt and shame because we have a life that, our daily life is not connected to the presence of God, but we're trying to live in the way of Jesus. It's not a formula, it's a flow. It starts with the presence of God. And let me say it briefly like this, and then again, next week we're gonna go deep into it. Our, um, uh, you become who you spend time with, the most time thinking and being with, right? That's, that's who we become. And what we know is that we can't actually, according to scripture, form ourselves. I can become better at certain skills, but when it comes to my character formation into Christ-likeness or the image of Jesus, I can't do it myself. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in me, according to scripture. So if it is the Holy Spirit's power, then that connection, that awareness of God is something that I have not arrived at 24-7, but it is something I wanna continue to foster with inside my rhythms and my life, my journey with Jesus. Like a tree, our life begins to slowly grow and to look like Jesus and to bear fruit like Jesus. So my question is this, do you have a rhythm of daily prayer? Do you? If your answer is no to that, you don't know where to begin, I'm gonna invite you, I'm gonna give you a tool a little bit later today, and it really is just a tool, a practice that you can practice on your own. But I wanna quickly move um, to the next one. So practicing the way of Jesus, but secondly, foundational practice is learning, or practicing the presence of Jesus. The second one is learning the way of Jesus. And, um, And that, very simply said, is scripture. The Bible is our foundation for, for understanding who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. So another Dallas Willard quote from that book, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. And our ground zero for knowing who Jesus is, his teachings, the life he lived, is the Bible. This is why this is why we spent a year and a half in the book of Mark. And we, you know, and maybe some points is like, why are we, te- we're just, we're gonna go, why are we teaching that? We're gonna go through it line by line. We're obsessed with Jesus. Um, when you look at the Christian calendar, which has been practiced and is practiced by billions of Christians around the world for centuries, when you look at the Christian calendar, and, and if you're not familiar with that, well, you are, you just don't know it. Christmas Eve and cr- Christmas, like the birth of Jesus, um, Easter and, and Lent and all of those things that you hear about within the Christian calendar. You know what those are? Our Christian year begins with the birth of Jesus. Why? Because living out the Christian calendar is just walking out the life of Jesus throughout 365 days, throughout a year. That's all it is. Why? Because as disciples of Jesus, we're obsessed with Jesus. We wanna know, we wanna live in it. We wanna swim in the water. We wanna... We want to drink in our rabbi. We want to know our rabbi. We want to follow our rabbi. We want to become like our rabbi in, in, a, in that sense. And so, and it's, and it's uh, this obsession with Jesus, it's not a church leader's job, it's not a pastor's job. It is something we're all invited into. And it's not a feeling, it is a choice. So do you have a daily rhythm of reading the Bible? 
So as we spend time with our rabbi and we learn more about him, our lives will reflect his mission more and more on this earth. Now here's what I'd like to do before we're done today. I, I wanna shepherd this out a little bit and mention just a few hurdles that could be coming up in our mind and heart even right now. Or as we begin to, maybe for some of you, you have rhythms a part of your life of practicing the presence in the way of Jesus, or the word of God. You have, you have rhythms in your life of that. And maybe for some of you, you don't. Or maybe for some of you, you did. And you wanna sort of reignite those. Well, there are all sorts of hurdles in our mind and heart that can come up. I wanna point out a few, um, lean into a few. The first one that comes to my mind is this obstacle hurdle, whatever, is that we can misinterpret these practices or spiritual disciplines of even, and I'm starting with some of the most foundational ones of praying and reading the scripture. We can misinterpret them as legalistic rules and guilt trips and earning God's favor and, and nonsense like that. I just wanna name that. I wanna name this. Practices are not the point and this is a temptation. If we say we're about spiritual formation, this is going to be one of, this could become one of our blind spots where we make the practices of Jesus the main point. It's not the point. They are a means to an end. They are tools to help us what? Be with Jesus. Be with God. Jesus is the point. And so, um, and if we do miss the point and the practices become the point, here's what, here's what comes to mind. We become a people who are self-oriented, practicing spiritual wellness. And uh, that is not who we are. We have a mission in this world and we get to do life with, with the living God. We're not here to just practice spiritual wellness so that we can live a life that's more, in a sense, whole or comfortable. There's a lot of religions you could join to do that. It's not what this is. The point is the presence of God. Um, and so, if you're like, I read my Bible all the time. Woohoo! I pray, I, I go to church all the time. I'm so, I'm actually so glad you're here. Yay. I really am glad you're here, but, but yay. You know, it's not, none of those are badges of honor. I, I pray all the time. Um, I fast all the time. Awesome. None of that is the point. Um, they all matter. They all matter. But the end goal, the end goal is to know and to be with Jesus. Another hurdle, um, this one is uh, a need for speed. <laughs> um, couldn't think of a better way to say that. Uh, if you live in our culture, which all of you do, unless you're visiting, um, then we are naturally oriented towards quick results. And here's what that means. We can have this like, metaphorical ruler in our back pocket that we pull out and we're constantly measuring like how much have we grown spiritually? Like where are we at? Are we getting closer to God? We're a little bit, you know, I'm much stronger spiritually than I, and we can kind of like measure ourselves. That is, 
that mindset actually wasn't a part of the ancient world in the same way that it is today. It's time to burn those measuring sticks. Um, that, that is, a, that is a, a hurdle, that is a pitfall. We will retreat into the stands and become fans if that's the case, because it's easier to cheer for Jesus than to measure our progress in becoming like Jesus and feeling like a failure all the time. It's way easier to be a fan, way easier to be a Christian enthusiast than it is a disciple of Jesus if we're constantly measuring how close we are to looking like Jesus. That's not the point. And later we'll see it. It's not about performance, but practice. It's not about your perfection, but your direction. So um, that's hurdle two. So I want to say it like this. Um, unlike an athlete or a performer, there are no professional Christians. Can I hear an amen? Thank you, Jesus. So be patient. Be patient with yourself and trust the long work of God in your life over a lifetime. This is a lifetime thing. This is a lifetime thing. If you can just finish the race being on the journey with Jesus, stop measuring your success. It's not. Hurdle three, uh, and this is the last one I'm gonna name, there's so many more we could go into, is distraction. I am increasingly struggling with this. Anybody else? Um, I believe that spiritual practices and disciplines are one of the great longings of our generation. I don't want to say this too sorry when I th I'm thinking about some of the young people that are being nurtured in this culture. I think about you a lot because there is a way this world nurtures your mind and heart that can squeeze out the life of God. So let me mention a few things on this. I believe we have no idea the deep impact of the digital age and urbanization on our souls as followers of Jesus. And I believe, I believe this, a far greater threat to our life with Jesus, bigger, a greater threat than post-Christian world, secularism, than political polarization. I believe a greater threat to all of that is our inbox, our social media, Netflix, the digital connectedness, our to-do lists are a bigger threat than those things. I really believe it. I believe the need more than ever is to break free from the distractions of this world, the digital world, our to-do list, to slow down and practice the spiritual disciplines, which I believe begins with an awareness of God's presence and soaking in God's word. I'll say as clear as that, I'll say it again. I believe the need more than ever is to break free from the digital world, from our to-do list distractions, to slow down, practice our the spiritual disciplines, which I believe begins with an awareness of God's presence and a soaking in of God's word. So lastly, this story, I think I shared it a few years back, but um, it came to my mind when I thought of this, and it was when my son Jude was a little boy. Uh, so I wanna bring a picture on the screen for a moment. This is him sitting on a hill. He's a little boy. It's not as little anymore. Now wrestling with him hurts. Um, and, uh, but I still like to do it. Um, and my wife took this picture 
and she wrote this uh, as a reflection on that little moment there. She wrote, this boy had a moment today that took my breath away. Running and playing and the wind suddenly swept over him and he froze. And I watched him stand there in one place, which is rare, for a while. And then he jumped up and ran back to me and he was yelling, Mom, God is in the wind. And I asked him what he meant. And he said, the wind blew on me and I saw all these little white things by my feet. So I said, God, is that you? Do you know me? And he said, and he said, yes. And it was, and Jude said, and it was in my ears, not where everyone else's ears could hear, but it was in my heart. And then he took off and went back and sat there in that spot for minutes on end. And I watched his little mouth moving and talking and no words. What a gift to watch the faith of a child discover his creator. Here's why I think that story came to mind when I was thinking through this. When you're young, when we're young, our worlds are simple. We have space. We can be on a hill and nowhere else. And when we grow, our worlds get full. Souls, our souls get more crowded and it's hard to be fully present anywhere. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Being a follower of Jesus, I think, is a lot like growing down. It's learning how to declutter all the things we've accumulated along the way to create space to be on the side of a hill or wherever to experience the presence of God that has always been with us. So let's practice together. I want to invite the worship team to 